SEC fans, this is John Christ, senior writer for Saturday Down South. Welcome to another episode of the SDS Podcast. Coming to you from the iHeartMedia studio, WDAE in Tampa, Florida, 620 AM, 95.3 FM. You can follow me on Twitter at SaturdayJC. And our guest for this installment is former Alabama quarterback John Parker Wilson. He was Nick Saban's first QB upon taking the job with the Crimson Tide. Be sure to follow him on Twitter as well, at JPWilson and the number four. John, it's good to talk to you again, and thank you so much for coming on the program today. Definitely great to be here. Really uh, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. The Saturday Down South podcast is brought to you by Sweet Hop. The SEC championship game is but a few weeks out, but the standings are shaping up for an outstanding matchup in the brand new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Imagine not just attending the game, but experiencing it in a private luxury street suite truly in style with your closest family, friends, or colleagues. SweetHop.com has access to the best suites in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the SEC title game and a lot of bowl games and postseason matchups as well all with live pricing and availability right on their website. Check it out and then lock in your suite when that team that you'd like to follow makes an appearance in one of these postseason games. Visit SweetHop.com. And now John Parker Wilson. I don't know if you're getting bored at this time as an alum of this great program, but needless to say, Alabama is doing what Alabama does on the verge of a fourth consecutive berth into the college football playoff. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely not boring. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to go out there and have the success that Coach Saban, um, his staff, and teams had. Um, just continue to to go out there and and you know it's really difficult. The, the standard, the bar set so high, and to to maintain that level of success each and every year um, is pretty outstanding. You know, Coach Saban obviously has this process that he always talks about, but to be able to repeat that. Um, like he's been able to do, you know, says a lot about him, uh, the staff he hires, you know, he hires such good um, assistant coaches. And then each each and every year continues to be in the top, you know, one, two or three in recruiting. Um, he just, he's got it rolling right now. And, and, you know, with good guys, good quality guys, not to mention they got some pretty, pretty good athletes out there running around for him. But be honest with me. I mean, this is your school, obviously, this is the team that you're always going to follow, and it's such a huge deal in the Yellowhammer State where you still make your home. But be honest, you understand the Alabama fatigue that a lot of college football fans around the country. It's sort of become like a New York Yankees situation where a lot of people are like, yes, they're great, but give me somebody else, please. Oh, no, I, I, I completely get it. Look, I'm the same way. Yeah, the Yankees, when they were, they were doing their run, you're like, hey, let's see somebody else. The Red Sox were able to come up and take them out. Um, but, you know, as a Bama fan, it's great. And I could definitely understand um, everybody else fatigue with it. Hey, I'd love to see a rubber match between Alabama and Clemson this year uh, for the national championship. I think it'd be fun to see as a, as a Alabama fan, but just a general fan, the same two teams playing in the national championship three years in a row would be pretty fantastic. I think a lot of fans would like to see that too. Um, but, you know, hopefully Bama can keep it going and get there. Right now – a lot of things going on on the defensive side of the ball is injury, so it'll be interesting to see how the second half of the season plays out. Now, I've always said that Coach Saban's best quality as a coach 
is his ability to keep his players motivated. No matter how many rings they get, no matter how many All-American selections, first-round draft picks, money in their pocket, it's incredible how this they have this insatiable desire just to continue to improve and be better. I mean, just look at fairly recent history. You know, the Auburn in 2010 breaks through and wins a national championship. Two years later, I believe the Tigers won three games and they get rid of Coach Chiswick. Florida State, my alma mater, 2013, one of the best teams in college football history, undefeated wins a national championship. It's only four years later. The Seminoles are three and five and might not make a bowl game, but Alabama is just there year after year after year. What is the key to Coach Saban being able to do that? Why do these guys never seem to be happy with what they've achieved? You know, I, I think what you said earlier about the, the motivating factor. Look, I think he's a master motivator. I think he's able to connect with these, you know, 18 to 21 year old kids on a level that other people can't. Um, when he goes, you know, it starts in a recruiting process when he's sitting in their living rooms um, and just has a bond with these guys. And you can see it when they're, you know, up there on the podium after they win a, a bowl game or, you know, that kickoff game with the players or having fun with them um, and I think have fun with them, respect him. Look, when it's time to go to work, it's time to go to work. But he also knows how to, you know, go up there and, and really connect to these kids. Um, and each each person's different, right? So you're motivated different than I am. And he knows that as a football team, the left tackle might be motivated completely different than the cornerback. And it's getting to those guys individually, finding out what drives them and then giving them what they need. You know, he brings in different speakers all year long, whether it's Dr. Elko or former NFL guys or whoever. Um, I, I think he – and his message is always different too. You know, it's, it's not the same thing year after year. He's very timely. We hear a lot – you know, when he talks to media, he's talking to his players. So the same message that he comes out on the Monday press conference is, is kind of what he's telling his players – and just listening to his press conferences, they're not really repeatable. He changes it up, um, whether it's rat poison or what it is, he connects these guys on a different level. Yeah, I'm curious about the connection stuff that you bring up. And I think Coach Saban just turned 65. His birthday is on Halloween, so not too long ago. I'm 42 years old, and I have a very difficult time connecting with some of these millennial types, especially if they're 16, 17, 18-year-old high school football players. I myself have volunteered as an assistant coach at the high school level at baseball and football, and it's tough to get through to some of these young men because they grew up in a different age than I did. So give me a situation when you were a high school football recruit. Maybe you had a coach from another program meet you at your high school or even come into your living room, as you suggest, and you just couldn't vibe with the guy. Whatever was going on, you knew the second he walked the door, walked out the door, you're like, no way am I playing for that guy. Yeah. Look, I think, I, I think it's really easy to tell um, with Coach Saban and what he's got going on. There's a great deal of respect from the players for him. So he's been able to win however many national championships he's won. So there's kind of immediate respect, but I think he reciprocates that to the kids. Um, and, you know, if you're a player on the team and you do your job and you do what you're supposed to do all the time, then he'll give you a little more rope. Um, and if you're not, then he, you know, we've seen him get on many players all the time. Um, so I think just that mutual respect they have from each other, you always know where you're staying with them. He's authentic. I think he, he wants the best for each player, whether you're going to be a first-round draft pick or – you're a walk-on, he really, I think, 
why he connects people and why he can walk in the living room is because he's authentic and um, nobody knows, no, nobody thinks, well, he's saying this, but means that. Look, there's never a question what he's thinking. Um, and I think that goes a long way. Now, you were recruited by and played for Coach Shula originally, two seasons in his program before the change was made in Tuscaloosa to Coach Saban. So, sort of give me a, a compare and contrast of Coach Shula's style versus Coach Saban's style, practice habits, film habits, just sort of the way he got on you when he made a mistake, just how things were as a freshman and sophomore versus the sea chains junior and senior. Yeah, you know, Coach Shula was great. He, he was, I mean, just a great coach. Um, at Alabama when a time, you know, people, it's really easy to forget. Um, but when, when he was there, we weren't allowed to go to a ball game. We were on probation. We were on scholarship restrictions. You know, when I ran out there for senior day, there was only eight other guys. Um, and we were, you know, from Alabama, loved Alabama, just like Coach Shula took the job when not a lot of people wanted it um, and really helped get the program headed back in the right direction. You know, I think Coach Shula definitely came from the NFL and is runs a more NFL-style program and system. And, you know, there's a little more free, a uh, little more leeway with the, with the NFL guys just because they're older. Coach Saban came in, and it's more regimented, a more scheduled approach. Um, and that, you know, works pretty well with 18-, 19-, 20-year-old kids. So give me your first Saban moment. Maybe it was the first time you met him and shook his hand uh, one of the players he inherited. Maybe it was at spring ball. Uh, I don't. The first time that you said, "Okay, the things are different now. I better get used to this." Yeah, you know, it was the first day we went we out there for uh, you know all season training. Coach Cochran calls it the fourth quarter program, and you know, I think they tried to kill us that first day we went out there. <laughs> they they were setting the tone. There was a new sheriff in town, and just everything we knew it was gonna be different when everything is every little detail whether you know okay we're supposed to wear these socks and tuck in your shirt and be on this line and you know the attention to detail i think was so great um it's something that you know everybody had to get used to it was a different different program and you know the the changing so the the culture of any program i think is the hardest thing to either keep going well or to change whether you're running a football program or a business you know the business owners listen to this, and you've got 50 employees that work for you. You know, one of the hardest things is if you're getting a bad culture, it's tough to turn that around. And I think he was able to do that extremely quick. You know, probably too quick for all these other head coaches that can't do it in two years like he was able to do it. Um, but that, that culture change was, was pretty rapid. You know, we were 6-6 six and six the first season, and then my second season with them, my senior year, we were able to go 12-0 and in the regular season. So happened pretty quickly. Um, and that's just because from day one, you know, you knew what you were going to get. You knew what was expected out of you, and, and it really never changed from then on. And now, 10, 11 years later, they're still doing the same exact things from that first day when, I, when he came to campus. Now, very deep in Coach Saban's DNA when he got there was, we're going to run the ball, we're going to have pro-style sets, we're going to play suffocating defense, be sound on special teams, and we're going to win a lot of ball games, you know, 21-3 to or something like that. And now, all of a sudden, you look at this offense, and it's been every bit as dominant as the defense here and there. How much of this offense do you even recognize nowadays with the hurry-up and the spread and the RPOs and the running ability from a kid like Jalen Hurts? 
on the surface, just watching it on television, the few games I've been in the press box, it looks completely different than it was a decade ago. Night and day. And I think it, we're talking about the success and what makes Coach Saban successful. I think his ability to adapt has been huge also. Whether, you know, when we first got there, we ran a 3 4 defense exclusively. Now we're more of a four down up front on defense. Um, and he, you know, I think it really started with Lane Kiffin when he brought Lane in and gave Lane the ability to do what he wanted to do. And that was, you know, okay, we're not going to run two tight end set or play with a fullback anymore. We're going to spread it out, do some speed sweeps, some jet sweeps. Um, and I think Lane did a great job of kind of changing what we were doing, and, and Coach Saban let him do it. And now Dayball has come in, and I think took what Lane did and made it really, you know, really successful with Jalen running the ball, those RPOs. He's sprinkling in some more pro-style passing down the field, which I think is a really good compliment to, to what we have done in the past. And I think each week we see – the level of sophistication the offense go up, and, and Jalen, I think, had a really good game passing uh, last week and, and against LSU. I think he's getting better and better as a thrower. Um, but also, Dayball's doing a great job of not taking away his ability to run the ball. Because, look, he's our leading rusher every game. He carries the ball more than Damian Harris, more than Bo Scarborough. So let's take what Jalen does and just enhance it, and that's what they've been able to do so far. Now, was there any resistance from former players like yourself or boosters or just fans in general, fans that are used to, you know what, we run two tight ends, we have a fullback on the roster, we're going to bloody you between the tackles. And why are we in the shotgun all the time? Why are there four wide receivers out there? Why are we snapping the ball with 20 seconds on the play clock? Think back to like Nebraska a while back. And when you think about Nebraska and Tom Osborne and what that program was for so long, even going back to the 60s, it was the option. It was the wishbone. We're going to run with those big corn-fed boys up front. That's what we do. Then all of a sudden, Bill Callahan gets there, and he says, look, we need to evolve. And he starts throwing in pro-style passing attack, and there's no more option. And a lot of people, even if it was for the better of the program in the long run, there was resistance because it was not what they were used to seeing and not a part of what this program has always been. Was there any resistance to this? Or has Coach Saban got to the point where you're like, look, what he says goes, he knows what he's doing? A little bit of both. There was definitely resistance. And I think just like from the fans and, and you know, listening to the sports talk radio here in Birmingham, it was different. And now instead of the two tight ends, we've got, yeah, a quarterback and a, a receiver and the pistol, and it's third and inches, and we're going to go in the shotgun. Like, what is what are we doing here? Um I think one of the things that makes it a lot easier is when you have success doing that. People buy in a lot faster than if you weren't having success. So that early success definitely helped out. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like what, what Saban says goes, and, and there's not a lot of, of debate once he in, instills something. So I think having that success definitely helped out to, to what his vision of changing up what we were doing. And, you know, I, I think the kind of – you kind of have to do it because now all the high schools are doing it. And if it's a spread offense and every quarterback in America is doing it, it's hard to recruit that passer that can do a seven-step drop every time. So it's kind of the changing of football, and, and he's been able to, to do a really good job of, of finding what fits for his system. Is this program too big to fail at this point? Is Coach Saban too good at what he does? Is the coaching staff just too well-versed in what they do? 
Is the recruiting simply too dominant with all the four and the five-star kids? I mean, we're seeing it on the defensive side of the ball right now. There have been a lot of injuries, a lot of attrition since the team we saw in week one on that neutral side against Florida State. Tons of injuries. But here comes another four-star kid. Here comes another five-star kid who seemingly are just as productive. I can't imagine this team ever somehow falling to like eight and four or something like that. It seems like 10 and two would be an incredible disappointment for this team. Just how many of the wheels have to fall off for this team really not to be in the national championship picture? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that hurts that is injuries, which we've seen, which is obvious. When you get the injury bug, it hurts. Luckily for Alabama this year, I think beating teams like we've been able to do, and you put those second, third, fourth teamers in, in the early third quarter, and they're getting real reps. And they're getting um, game action on the road in SEC play. It might be against Vanderbilt, but when they have to go up there against Georgia, it's not going to be the first time they've played. So that that definitely helps. I think, look, the way the practices are run in Alabama, it might be tougher on Wednesday and Thursday than it is on Saturday. You're going against four- and five-star guys every day in practice. Um and that increases the, the level of everybody else. I mean, we've got some good guys on the scout team that we just don't – they're not, you know, playing yet, but they're, they're going to be the Amari Cooper that was behind Julio Jones. We didn't know Amari Cooper's name because he was third on the depth chart behind Julio, and then when he gets a chance, goes out, and obviously he's a pro bowl receiver now in the NFL. Um, so I think the other thing that, that is the, the hardest thing and why Coach Saban is the way he is and he knows the biggest – hurdle is complacency it's we are really good we don't need to practice this well during during the week or we're really good we don't need to have you know it's tuesday during march during spring football we don't need to have that good of a practice it's not that big of a deal i think the intensity level that coach saban has on tuesday the seventh practice of the spring ball the intensity is the same as it is when you're playing lsu and it's wednesday at practice or kickoff for the game He's able to maintain that. Um, he's able to get all the coaches to do it and then all the players to do it and even the scout team walk-on guys to do it. So it's all year long. Uh, kind of talked about that a little bit earlier, but you know what you're expected to do from January 1st all the way to December 31st. Now, another coach that you got to be aware of just from inheriting him, if you will, granted on the other side of the ball, is Kirby Smart. And he had a long apprenticeship under Coach Saban as the defensive coordinator and various other positions earlier in his career. And now he's in Athens at his alma mater. It's only year two, but he's kind of done in year two what Coach Saban did in year two with you as his quarterback. He's running through the regular season, potentially undefeated, a national championship contender. I see Tuscaloosa East. That's how I'm describing the Bulldogs right now, not only in terms of the success, but you just watch this team play. And that team in red and black looks eerily familiar to the one in crimson and white. Is that the same impression you get when you've taken in any Georgia games this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it looks the same from the defensive setup. Obviously, it's going to be very similar. Just the way that they carry themselves, there's that kind of, you know, um, aura back with Georgia. They didn't have it for a few years. Even though they were winning 10 games with Mark Rick, you know, I felt like the Georgia fans always knew that they were going to be Georgia at the end of the day. Now it's kind of back to where it was, where they're walking a little taller these days. I think Coach Smart was, you know, Kirby was smart to say, 
hey, what we did at Alabama worked. Let, let, I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel here. I've been with Coach Saban forever. You know, he probably could have, if Coach Saban was sick for a week or for a month, he knew how to run the program. He's taken the blueprint, instilled it with Georgia, and I think he was smart in doing that and saying, look, let, let's do what, what's worked. He's got great recruiting. He can drive 30 minutes down the road to Atlanta and have the best recruits in the country and not have to go more than a tank of gas. Um, I, I think he's doing things the right way. I love the way his offense is set up. You know, he's they're running the ball. They're really good runners, playing defense, and now they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country and Jake Fromm. As an Alabama fan, I'm scared. I think they're playing really good ball, and they're only going to get stronger. Now, once upon a time, I was a slow, short slot receiver, but I like to think that I speak the language of quarterback pretty well, so I'd love to get a little deeper into the quarterback situation with the next signal caller like yourself. But like when a lot of football fans are watching a game on TV and you get that shot of the sideline and you have an assistant coach who's flashing in signals, two backup quarterbacks who are flashing in dummy signals, you have the poster boards with the goofy photos and the like, Tell me, as a quarterback, what exactly you're looking for and what hand gesture means what and how quickly you need to process that information and tell it to your guys either in the huddle or at the line of scrimmage. Just exactly how much information is being flashed out you, flashed at you, how, many, how much of it is real, how much of it is immaterial, how much of it is going to other players, not the quarterback. Just walk me through that process start to finish. Yeah, so I think, I, I think that coordinators have – where it used to be like, we're going to try to make the play call as long as possible, and I'm going to show you how smart I am. And then, you know, I would have to relate in the huddle to everybody. And when I was doing it, and, you know, kind of still doing the NFL a little bit, you tell the offensive line what to do, you tell each receiver their role, you tell the running back what to do, and including the protection motion. So it might be like Z-Mo to trips right, Act 2, 428, ZD bout. Or, or you're telling basically everybody what to do. I really like it now because in college you don't have the luxury of having the headsets like they do in the NFL where the coordinator can just bark it into your ear and then you regurgitate it to the, to the team. Now what they're doing with the cards and the poster boards and the signals is everybody just line up. I'm going to tell you what the, the formation is, and then they're going to signal to everybody. So like Alabama doesn't huddle right now. We're signaling the pass concept, and everybody knows what to do. So there's no huddle. It speeds it up. You're able to run more plays. Um, it, 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 you know, the play calls used to be five and six, seven seconds in the huddle. Now they made it a lot simpler. Let's go out there, play fast, and not try to complicate things too much. And it, it's gotten a lot better. And I, I wish we did it like that when I was in college. What about protections and the like? I've never been an offensive lineman. I'm 5'10 and 180 pounds, but that is a language I don't necessarily understand. And when you watch the college game, and especially in the NFL game, one of the responsibilities, not only of the center, but also of the quarterback, is maybe to change up the protection on a play. Let's say that you have just insert play here that's going to be a pass, but you see, let's say there's maybe a double A-gap blitz coming from the linebackers. That's what's being shown from the defense. So give me an example of changing up protection. What exactly are you changing on what those five men in front of you are doing? So if we had a standard play comes in, a lot of times you'll see the quarterback act like he's going to call hut, and then they, all the team looks to the sideline. 
And what the coordinator then, whoever's in the box or whatever, is saying, okay, I see that double-A blitz. Let's not run the ball up the middle. Let's run a sweep or let's throw it to the outside. So let's try to see what they're doing and then counter that. In the NFL, usually it's the starting quarterback. You know, Matt Ryan sees a blitz. He's like, let's not run it there. I'm going to throw it to the outside. In college, it's more the coordinator that does that, that makes that call. Um, but a lot of times you might go to the line and you have a play call. Let's say it's a, a five-man, the, the five offensive linemen are blocking. The running back is going to stay in a block, but everybody else is running the routes. So you, the offensive line and the running back, all have to be on the same page to know who you're going to block, who's going to block who, and at the end of the day, the defense can always send one more than we can block. So you've got to have somewhere to throw it if they've got a free blitzer. Um, then all that happens really quickly. A lot of times you'll hear the quarterback and centers call out who's the Mike, you know, Mike 55, or, and that basically sets the protection for the entire offense, and everything's going to go off that linebacker. So if he blitz and the, and the strong linebacker blitz, now we have to throw it hot to the tight end. Or the running back has to go and now block that other linebacker. It's very complicated. It all has to happen really quick. And that's why a lot of teams will see, a lot of times we'll see a young running back that's good enough to play but hasn't figured out the protections yet, and that's why he's not getting as many carries. That's the, if you can't block as a running back, you don't get to run the ball. Um, so that's when we see a young running back. When he gets the protections, then you're allowed to go out there and, and carry the ball. Now, as much as I love the hardcore X's and O's, I want to have a little fun with you as well. Now, you haven't played professional football in a while. You were a, four, you were a you know, four-year player at Alabama. You had a cup of coffee in the league with a couple of teams. But you're a real man now. You're a working man now living in the Birmingham area. I'm curious, how many? what, what percentage would you say of people in your daily life know that you were a former quarterback at Alabama? Um, you know, being here in, in, in Alabama where, where Alabama and Auburn is the biggest show in town, you know, we don't have any pro teams. Not a huge following with any any pro teams. It's pretty often, um, but you know, being here in Birmingham, growing up here, it's not like you know people are like running up and getting pictures all the time. They're kind of like, oh, we've seen him a million times, just another guy. So it's it's pretty cool. You know, it's uh, it's nice to to be able to go out there and connect with a lot of people. I still love it. You know, everybody wants to know what's going on or what's Coach Saban like. So it's it's fun to interact with those fans. Um, you know, throughout the town, throughout the state. Now, be honest with me here. When was the last time you used your quote-unquote Alabama quarterback celebrity to your advantage? Maybe it was getting into a hot restaurant. Maybe it was landing a client. Tell me when that comes in handy and you have to play that ace up your sleeve. <laughs> I try not to. I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy that you know, walks around and, and tries to get things. Um, you know, It happens. It just happens naturally. I just try to be a good guy and... and People, people see. It. I mean, people recognize it, right? So, um, whether it's me and there's, you know, most of the quarterbacks played Alabama, come back and live in Birmingham. So, just kind of one of the part of the thing about living here. Do you know who I am? That's not something you're known for around Birmingham. No, no, I, I, I do not <laughs> say that. I can assure you that. <laughs> All right, before we let you get out of here, I know that you're working with the Monday Morning Quarterback Club in Birmingham to raise money for the Crippled Children Foundation. How exactly did you get involved with this particular cause? Yeah, so like you just said, one of the luxuries that I have is platforms like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all these cool things. The Monday Morning Quarterback Club is an organization that was founded in Birmingham 
seven, over 75 years ago as, you know, just like every town has their, their football club where guys get together on lunch for Mondays, sit around, talk about ball. Usually we'll have a coach come in and talk. But this club's a little bit different um, in raising money is kind of our biggest driver. Last year we were able to donate over a million, I think a million two, to charities throughout Alabama and the southeast. Um, so I'm trying to be the biggest fundraiser. If I'm going to use my name for anything, I would love it to be able to drive people to my Twitter. There's a link on there where you can donate. Um, and 100% of the proceeds are going to go to children's charities throughout Alabama. So something I'm really passionate about. Um, and if I was going to be like, do you know who I am? This would be a perfect case for me to do that. Well, I'm happy to report that I donated 100 bucks myself just as a thank you for you to come on the show. It really is fantastic being involved with something like this. I wish you the best of luck with the fundraiser, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, I appreciate the donation. I, it really means a lot. Thank you so much for doing that, for having me on, and I hope you can continue success. Absolute least I can do, and let's try to direct some more bucks your direction. That was former Alabama quarterback John Parker Wilson. Remember to follow him on Twitter at JPWilson4. Pinned right at the top of his profile is the website you need to click. It'll take you directly to the page where you can put a couple of bucks in for a worthy cause. Whether it's five bucks or 5,000, it's going every single penny to the right places. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Special thanks to our friends at WDAE in Tampa, as well as our sponsor, Sweet Hop. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast can be found. And be sure to give the show a rating as well. My name is John Christ, and for all SEC all the time, visit SaturdayDownSouth.com.